First Sunday of Lent, that, that 40 day period between Ash Wednesday and Easter, not counting Sundays, uh, this time of preparation um, to think about what it means to walk closer with God through Jesus to prepare us for the Easter celebration. Sundays are not included in this 40 day count because each Sunday is for us a little Easter. And so we're going to be looking at this sermon series that are the final words of Jesus. Those words that are recorded by the gospel writers um, that he spoke while he was on the cross. Uh, last words often have this sense of being heightened importance, but, but particularly in the case of Jesus, when every word that he would speak would be excruciating pain because of the way that he was hanging on the cross to try to lift himself up to just be able to speak gives these an even heightened importance. And Lent is a time for us to, to draw near and to reflect on these final words of Christ. And the first words that Luke records that Jesus said from the cross is a prayer. It shouldn't surprise us that it's a prayer. After all, Jesus had lived his life steeped in prayer. There are many stories of him withdrawing to the mountain to pray. There's lots of times when he's teaching those who would follow him what it means to, to live a life of prayer. But as we think about these words from the cross, the, the question is exactly who is it that he's praying these words? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who's he praying those for? Well, of course, there would be the soldiers, those that are gathered around the cross, those who had tortured and are crucifying him, who even now are just about to kneel down and gamble for the clothes that he has. Father, forgive them. Because you see, sometimes governments get it wrong. Sometimes just doing your job like the soldiers were doing is wrong. Governments are needed. They are needed to, to shepherd people. But sometimes governments get more interested in, in maintaining their power. And they don't mind using their power to oppress those who disagree or harm those who have a different opinion than the government does. Sometimes governments get it wrong. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's also, I think, praying for the crowd that's gathered there, the, the crowd that is looking at him and jeering and making fun of him as he hangs on the cross. The, the same crowd that had gathered around and through majority vote, or at least the loudest voices, had called for the release of the convicted murderer and insurrector Barabbas and sent to his death the Son of God. Sometimes majority rule gets it wrong. Sometimes when groups get together, they, they instead engage in groupthink or, or they, they get into a mob mentality when whispers and misinformation and fear-mongering can cause them to behave in a way that they might not normally do as individuals. People stop thinking for themselves and give in to that adrenaline of the moment. Father, forgive them but they don't know what they're doing. And then there are the, the religious leaders, 
those who, who out of their own jealousy or spiritual blindness or their desire to maintain the religious status quo conspired with the Romans to have Jesus killed, which is, by the way, often the fate of prophets. Read the Old Testament. You'll see how often this is the fate. Father, forgive them because sometimes religious leaders get it wrong. Leaders um, who cover up abuse against children and vulnerable populations. Religious leaders who believe that God has favorites and they are them and, and withdraw God's grace, if that were possible for them to do, from those who would point out their hypocrisy. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But besides the, the crowd and the soldiers, and the religious leaders, there are others that Jesus is praying this prayer for from the cross. You see, we, we are among the them that Jesus is praying for. Father, forgive them. We know the hymn song, um, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And the answer is, in a profound spiritual sense, that, yeah, you were there. That the entire human race was there at the crucifixion. Now, the death of Jesus happened at a particular place, at a particular moment in time, and yet the death of Jesus was also an event that transcends time and his prayer there on the cross testified to what the cross was about. Jesus offering himself to his Father as an atonement for the sins of God's people throughout all time. He was at once the high priest pleading for atonement and the offering himself for those who came before and for all who would come after. Because people, all humans, get it wrong. We mess up. We sin. And we need forgiveness. The, the human need for forgiveness and God's willingness to extend forgiveness, those are two themes that are repeated over and again throughout Scripture. Sin, you see, means to stray from the path or to, to miss the mark. And we are created in the image of God with God's intention of us living in deep relationship with God. God is the creator. We are the created. He's given us his greatest commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving and serving God. Loving and living in community with all our fellow humans, treating each one as we would like to be treated. How are you doing at that? How am I doing at that? The reality, friends, is that more often than not, we pursue our self-interest. We do what is right in our eyes and what we think will benefit us. And when we do, we stray from the path, we miss the mark, we sin. 
And the good news of the gospel is that God's mercy and God's grace are always greater than our sin. But you can't appreciate God's mercy and God's grace until we know that we need it. And we all need it. Because we all struggle with doing the wrong thing. The human condition is that we have a tendency to choose our way over God's. We call that original sin. Charles Wesley called that our bent to sinning. And it's in all of us. And you don't have to teach young children. You can see it easily, even in the very youngest of us. Rebellion, my way. Refusal to bow to the will of authority of even the most loving parent. And that tendency stays with us. The, the itty-bitty lie that we tell and then all the other lies that we tell to make sure and cover it up. The, the gossip that we whisper and then make the person we've whispered it to swear not to repeat it by the way they will repeat it. <laughs> the angry rant that we go on with words or gestures when someone else gets it, gets it wrong, annoys us, or disappoints us. That loving deed that we withhold because we want to be strong and independent and don't want to get hurt. And all this talk about sin, I, I'm not doing that in order to make you feel bad, but, but it's important to know that the, what the diagnosis is that we all share, and that's our sin nature. It's, it's like when you go to the doctor, you, you want them to give the diagnosis so that you can make a plan to know what is the next thing to do. The diagnosis just is what it is. In this case, it points us to that which will relieve us from sin for what ails us. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed that prayer for those right there in the moment who were torturing and taunting and killing him, and he prayed that prayer for them and for us even before we knew that we needed forgiveness while we were still in the midst of our sins. Paul writes in Romans 5, 6 to 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus prayed for us and died for us before we repented. He asked forgiveness for us while we were still a far distance from God. On the cross, all the sins of the world, all the hatred, unfaithfulness, bigotry, poverty, violence, death, were placed upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when we see Jesus on the cross, we are meant to see the costliness of grace. Our sin is not a trifling thing. The Son of God was crucified for it. We're also meant to see, as we reflect on the cross, the extravagant mercy and grace of God. God's mercy and grace and forgiveness is an accomplished feat. It was accomplished in the past, some 2,000 years ago, but it becomes real for us 
in the present when we accept it. It's like getting a wrapped gift for Christmas or for your birthday. You can't really use it or enjoy it until you accept it and unwrap it. God's mercy is a gift that has been given for all time and for all people in Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. It is a pure gift. We are saved purely by God's grace. God, through Jesus, has already forgiven us. Our task is to accept the gift. And, and we're told that even the ability to accept the gift, that in itself is also an act of God's grace. John Wesley calls that prevenient grace, that grace that goes before us, that prepares us to be able to say yes to God's offer. One more thing about Jesus' prayer for forgiveness on the cross. You know, he could have prayed that prayer silently, but he didn't. He wanted us to overhear it. He not only wants us to know that we're forgiven, but, but he wanted to model what following him actually looks like. And it looks like forgiving others. When he was living and teaching, he taught frequently about forgiveness, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, he said. In teaching about prayer, he modeled the prayer that we pray every single week to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are to be about forgiving others because we follow a risen Savior who forgives us. And when we make a habit of offering forgiveness to others, our own hearts are enlarged and we get a glimpse of what a loving Father looks like who forgives us. And when we hold on instead to resentment and, and hold on to hurt, we begin to think of God as like us. For sure, forgiveness is hard for us. More often than not, we want justice for those who've wronged us and mercy for us. During this season of Lent, I, I challenge all of us to use Jesus' prayer on the cross as, as a way to help us learn to forgive. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Maybe during this Lenten season, we might spend some time pondering what that means for us, that we've received forgiveness, and what it means for us to offer it. If you're here this morning and you don't think you've ever accepted that forgiveness for yourself, I invite you to do that right now. Father, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. And let me follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I also invite us to spend some time praying for those who have wronged us. Maybe we can also practice that as, as we pray this last prayer together and you call to your mind someone who may need your forgiveness. Let us pray. Father, forgive them. Father, you know their heart. You know my pain. I pray for those who hurt me. 
forgive them and heal me. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.